was proud on Friday. I cannot tell you how proud I was to be at the school program for the veterans that we have already had stand. I was proud to live in an area where recognizing the veterans is still happening. Proud for the Legion group who uh, bring, has brought this back to the school. I was proud to be greeted by Ryan Johnson when I came in. I was proud to watch Katie Miller lead her band. They, they just did a wonderful job. And the kids with their singing, it was absolutely delightful. I was proud that David Meyer, when I walked in the door, and he's there among the other veterans, and he, he's the one who's here with us this morning, with a big smile, he said to me, we got prayer back in it this year. And he meant it sincerely that they were able to bring prayer back into the program this year. And I was proud of Miles and Judy. Judy backed up uh, or played piano for uh, some of the choir that was going on. And Miles served as the chaplain for the day. And if you were there, you know he absolutely knocked it out of the park. It turned out to be a very significant morning. It was so significant, at least to me, in my experience, that when we got to the end and they had printed into their, into their little handout, their folder that they had for the service, with the order of service, we got to the end and they had the words, for God bless America. And in light of what I'd seen, I was thrilled to sing God bless America because I've been having trouble singing it, to be honest with you, friends. I was thrilled to be able to sing it again, and you know, I couldn't. I couldn't because I was in tears over what had just taken place. It was a magnificent time. A little later in the day, I was proud again about that service because I ran into somebody originally from New Folda, and they were in a different town now. She mentioned to me She mentioned to me how within a particular school system, on Halloween, she walked through their day and and effectively within that school system, she said the entire day, if I understood her, there were movies and uh, costume parties and all of this for an entire day virtually in the public school system. She mentioned the money that's also being spent for Halloween. And as far as she knew, there was next to no recognition given to Veterans Day. Her heart was broken. I was proud to be able to say, I want to encourage you, I just came from a school where they did a magnificent job. But why was her heart broken? Her heart was broken because she was effectively raising this question. What is it we value? What are we teaching the young children is important when they get all day to consider Halloween and the men and women, as Miles has reminded us, who are willing to give their lives to keep us free, barely register. What is it we value? We've been looking at the book of Hebrews for some weeks now. We will be here for a time, friends. We will be here for a time. 
And Hebrews cautions us to not take the value of Christ's work on our behalf, to not take that work lightly. If you'll recall where we've been, I'm going to give you a brief sweep of where it's been in chapter 1. We saw at the very beginning that God has spoken through His Son, Jesus Christ. Yes, He spoke through the prophets, but the ultimate revelation of who He is, the ultimate revelation of His redemptive plan was found in a person. When the second person of the Trinity took on flesh and walked among us, that was the ultimate expression of his revelation. And the rest of the chapter described him as being superior to the angels. And then as chapter 2 began, we saw this truth, as he said, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. We, we just observed for that morning, we said that we either are going to give heed or give, give way. We're either going to pay attention to the things that matter, or they're just going to drift from us. That putting value on things takes some effort. It takes a choice. It takes a decision to say, this is more important than that. And then the writer to the Hebrews last week presented a question to us, which I referred to as the hanging question when he asked, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How do we escape if we neglect this? And the word neglect is at its very root means to not care about, to not value. How do we escape if we take this so great salvation and we act like, well, you know, it's more like Veterans Day than it is Halloween. Not really that important. When ultimately it is the thing that is more important. And the writer goes on to explain for us how great it is when he, having referenced it, is how shall we escape if we neglect, if we don't care about, if we don't value this so great salvation? Takes a few, uh, 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 quite a bit of time to describe for us why it is so great. And that's what we're going to spend time with this morning. Some of it. We won't get it all in this morning. Uh, first, we know the ultimate fulfillment. How great is it? Well, we know how great it is because we know the ultimate fulfillment. Hebrews chapter 2, picking up in verse 5. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You've made him a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands, and you have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all, thi- put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. And I want to stop right there. Again, he begins with this comparison relative to angels. He just finished a chapter talking about this comparison between Christ and the angels and how Christ is superior. And now he begins by saying, now, he didn't put the world to come in subjection to angels. No, he put it somewhere else. And then he goes on to quote Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 to 8. In Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 to 8, 
we see how man has been given dominion over the earth. And let's read those right now. Psalm 8, verses 3 to 8. Here's what we have there. When I consider your hands, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. And when it speaks of the psalmist, as he reflects upon it, he reflects upon a God who has created everything that he sees. He looks out, he sees the moon and the stars, and he's aware as to how insignificant mankind is. In that setting, when he looks at the vastness of the universe, what he can see, of course, only with his naked eye, we have come to understand it is much greater than they ever understood. But he was enough to be awed by that. And he says, what is man? He's, he's lower than the angels. There's this created order of beings in the spirit realm that, that are greater than we are, greater power than we have, their magnificence and their being. He says, and he's below that. And yet, somehow, man, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. And as he speaks, he divines what that dominion is. He has dominion over the earth. He has dominion over the animals of the earth. And, of course, we know that in reflecting upon Genesis and the creation account. There's nothing new there, but the psalmist just reflects on that. And it's in, in Psalm chapter 8, it is this, 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 uh, uh, this offer of praise to God as, as the psalmist is overwhelmed with how God has worked. But then the writer of the Hebrews takes that same passage, and if you will, I like to say it this way, he elevates that passage and says now gives us its fuller understanding that it is a description of Jesus Christ. Now later he's going to celebrate and clarify for us Christ's identification with mankind. So it is fitting because as the psalmist wrote it, he wrote it about mankind and how mankind has been given this rich and great blessing. And now the, now the writer to Hebrews, he elevates that. He says, this particular one from within mankind, completely identified with mankind, part of mankind, he elevates that to something more. Because when he says he's for in, in that he put all in subjection under him, it goes beyond wildlife and nature. He means everything. The last part of verse 8, For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. He's expanding out our understanding of all things being put under him. And here's how Paul wrote it to the Ephesians, this same concept that goes beyond simply dominion over the animals and over the earth. 
Because Paul prays for the Ephesians that they might be understanding some things. And we pick up in the middle of what he says. He prays for them. When we read in verse Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, he prays that they would understand what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him head to be over all things to the church, which is is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do you see how this has been elevated? Do you understand that mankind as a whole was given dominion over the earth and and over the animal kingdom? Jesus Christ now is being described as having dominion over the entire angelic realm. That's the dominions and powers that exist. So over the angelic realm and then over the human realm when in terms of his body, those whom he's gathering to himself, they are, he is the head over his body which is the church. How great is this salvation? What has God done that we ought to value it? Well, first, we know the ultimate fulfillment. The ultimate fulfillment of this whole process, this redemptive work that God is revealing through His Son, Jesus Christ, is the day is coming when Jesus Christ reigns supreme and all, everything, all of nature, all of humanity, and all of the spiritual realm, every angel, Satan himself will bow before him as king of kings and lord of lords. That's how great it is. First, we know the ultimate fulfillment as to what's going to happen when he reigns supreme. Secondly, we experience the interim development. You see, this thing hasn't been worked out to its complete end yet, has it? We don't, the writer says here, uh, we do not yet see all things put under him. There is still an outworking of God's redemptive plan that is unfolding. We can see that Christ's glory and honor has to do right now, presently, with his submission to death. Not his dominion over all things. Notice what it says. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, meaning he took on human flesh. He was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. That's his crown. See, the psalmist spoke of of how man was crowned with glory and honor by having dominion over the works of God's hand. That was mankind's glory and honor. But here, the writer to Hebrews says, here's his glory and honor. He went to death on behalf of all of us. He submitted himself unto death. That's his glory. That is his honor. Why? He is crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone Friends, this is the core. This is the absolute central issue that we proclaim. It is the reason that we have a hope. It is that Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Second person of the Trinity, in ways that you and I are never going to understand, 
We're going to celebrate it next month at Christmas, aren't we? That the second person of the Trinity appointed by God from eternity past steps into time, space, history with this man made lower than the angels, given dominion over nature. And he identifies with man completely by taking on human flesh. He completely identifies with him so that he ultimately can, in God's redemptive plan, go to the cross and taste death for every one of us. Oh, my friends, I'm going to try and say it as as simply as I know how. This is the absolute focal point of all of God's redemptive plan is right in this statement that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Jesus Christ took on flesh, walked among us, lived a sinless life, and then we put him on a cross. I say we because we would have been there yelling, crucify him, crucify him with the crowd. Let's not be so proud to think we wouldn't. And we crucified him. But God in his grace, in his magnificent grace, was doing an eternal work. Because God sent his son to live that perfect life, to offer that perfect sinless sacrifice that Christ might taste death for every one of us. And God accounts that what Jesus Christ did in paying the penalty for sin, that that now goes to our account if we will but receive it. You might say, how can that be, Gary? How, how can that be? It doesn't make sense that he should die for my sins. You know what? You're right. doesn't make sense. I can't make sense of it. But there's one element that gives us some understanding. It's right here that I still can't make sense of. That he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. I can't explain grace like that to you, friends. I only know that I've received it. I only know there are many who are here who have received it. But we can't explain it. I can't give you a logical thing that says, here's how it all works out mathematically. It's a grace you and I don't understand. We certainly don't deserve. We've done nothing to earn it. There's nothing of value in us that we bring to our salvation. It's this, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And God accounts his death on the cross as absolutely sufficient to pay the penalty for all of our sins. And he takes our guilt and he puts it on Christ. And he takes Christ's righteousness and he places it to our account so that we are seen in Christ as being sinless. I can't explain it. It's what the scriptures teach. Because if I were God and he operated the way I am and you did me the way we've done God, you'd have been paying, buddy, I promise. You'd have paid severely for how you did to me as God. But instead, Christ bears that. By the grace of God, he might taste death 
for everyone. Now I know sometimes we see this, we're saying, doesn't make sense. Intellectually, I can't figure it out. There's another thing that comes into here, okay? It is, uh, it's not fair that somebody else, someone else should die for me. Okay, so that's, that's just something about that just doesn't add up. We don't like the idea, we really don't like the idea that somehow our sin, we were so desperately lost in our brokenness and our sin that somebody else had to give up their life on our account so that we might have eternal life. There's something about our pride, our arrogance that just says, no, that can't be, or I just reject that. I'm not buying it. Well then, my friends, I have a question for us. If that's where we're at, if that's how we respond to this offer of grace, this is the very glory of Jesus Christ. We see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor because he has not gotten glory for dominion. He will have that one day. His glory is for his submission that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. My friend, the writer here is telling us, do not treat lightly this great salvation. Don't take it lightly. Don't let it pass from you. Don't fade from this. There's something very important here. And he asked the question, if we neglect this and say, I don't think very much of what Jesus Christ has done. He asked this question, how shall we escape? So great salvation. What is the alternative we have, friends? What is the alternative we have that we might be made righteous before a perfect, holy, righteous, just God? What's the alternative we're going to come up with? How shall we escape? When God brings his judgment down upon our sin, if we have dismissed as valueless what Christ has done. I can't explain it logically why he, why God should, should have Christ suffer on my behalf as if somehow I could deserve it or make it work out. I can't do that for you. But I know the Bible speaks of grace. It's by God's grace that he's doing something here and making it available to us. So we know the ultimate fulfillment. Christ will reign and he'll have complete dominion. We experience the interim development. To this point, the glory that he receives is for being in submission to the Father. And you'll see this worked out even further. And that glory, every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess. Isn't that what Philippians 2 tells us? How he submitted himself unto death. Didn't have to cling, didn't have to cling to the glory that was due him simply as being God. He set that aside, took on human flesh, submitted to death. Wherefore God has given him a name above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is his glory right now. That in submission, he's been the perfect, the perfect servant who went and died on our behalf. He has tasted death for everyone. And if we reject that, friends, Hebrews says, 
What's our escape after that? What, what better plan do we have than what God is saying by his grace he is offering to us? Our salvation is so great because one day Christ, who's greater than the angels, will rule in his rightful place. That's the ultimate fulfillment. But furthermore, our salvation is so great because one day Christ, who is greater than the angels, already suffered in our rightful place. And he offers us grace through what he has done. The question to us is, how shall we escape if we neglect or put little value in so great a salvation? If we take this grace, we say, it's just not worth that much. Talk for a couple minutes. I already told you that... um, I already told you that I couldn't even sing God Bless America. I was so moved by the service for our veterans and what it meant, at least to me. But I'm not proud to tell you that I have to make a confession to you. It it reflects a different place where I'm at in my life. See, the first time I ever saw anything put on by an American Legion, I was a know-it-all. Smart punk kid. I was dating a girl in high school. I dated a girl through my senior year in high school. Her name was Mary. Father was an alcoholic. Father was also a member of the American Legion. And I was invited to join with Mary and her mom and dad when... The Legion had, at some point, they had an installation service for their new officers. I'm a teenager. So we're sitting out there in these folding chairs at the Legion, and I knew somehow this meant something to her alcoholic dad. Now he's a veteran, it never occurred to me to ask what his experiences as a veteran were and did they lead to his alcoholism that he was, didn't have an answer. Not that Christ couldn't have given him an answer, but at that point, I didn't know Christ or wasn't walking with Christ either. So I'm just ashamed to think of how already I was not paying attention to this man and his needs. But the installation service, I don't remember anything other than one part of what happened. They called to present the colors. And not only was it, the, was it the Legion people, but it was the women's auxiliary that are there. And you know how when they come in, they take these small steps, right? They're, they march in with small steps. And I watched this procession go in front of me. And, and, and in my way of thinking, the youngest person there was probably about 75. And they've got their uniforms on. And they all come in holding these flags with these little steps. I'm ashamed to admit it, friends. I, what struck me was, oh, and you're the people that are going to defend our nation, these little old people with their little steps. And it struck me as funny. 
that these people could possibly ever help defend our nation. Do you know what didn't hit me? They've already served. Some of these guys, probably in World War II, lost the guy next to them. I'm too smart, too proud to understand what is going on in front of me. And it struck me so funny that these little old people presenting these colors that I had to look at the floor and count tiles in order to not break out in hysterical laughter. Because I didn't understand what they were valuing. And I was just too ignorant to get it at that point. And I'm ashamed that it struck me as funny. But I'm in a different place now. Because effectively, it's the same little group of people walking out now, having retired the colors. I got to take my glasses off and wipe my eyes. Because now I get it. And I understand the value of what they do and what they have stood for and what they are trying to remind us of and you've heard me say this publicly, to me it's personal because there are people from other cultures who have made it clear should they get control of America, the first place they're coming is to the pulpits. And these are the people. I point right here because of Dave Meyer and the people he, rec- he represents and all of you who stood up earlier and thank you for having served. You are the ones... And I found afterwards, when I went up and they were all kind of congregated, many of them congregated in a corner, and I went in to thank them again, and I realized the same group of people who I laughed the first time I saw the kind of thing that they put on, I stood in their midst and said, I'm not worthy to stand among them. Thank you. I need that. My friends, it's about what we value. God, by his grace, has given his very son. That just like the soldiers who are willing to lay down their lives that we might be free, and somehow we get that, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life that we might be free from the power and the guilt of sin. How is it we can't make that connection and value that? And I'd like to encourage any of us this morning, if we have never taken seriously what God says here, that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And we've got some proud, arrogant answer as to why that can't be. And we want to laugh at them like I laughed at those old legion people who had already served their country and put their lives on the line. Can I not encourage you to repent? To repent of such arrogance and pride. That somehow we think we have a better plan than what God is laying out for us. 
And may I encourage you to reach out for that voice as that was not planned, friends, that just spoke from the back of the room. We forgive you. I encourage you to reach out for that voice that says, I'm ready to forgive you. I've made the provision. But you have to receive it by humbling yourself enough to understand what your real needs are. It's this simple, friends. We acknowledge that we are sinners before a holy God. We understand whether we can explain it or not, His word is clear that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. We understand that Jesus Christ died on a cross in order to pay the penalty of our sins. And recognizing that we are sinners, He is our sin, He is a sin bearer, able by God's grace, to be a vehicle for forgiveness, we call out to him and say, Lord Jesus, I don't understand it all. I don't get it all. I don't know a whole lot of theology, but I know myself. I know I'm a sinner, and I know that you have provided salvation for me, and I call out to you now, and I ask you for that forgiveness that you provide, and my friends, he will. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the incredible value, the incredible worth of what Christ has accomplished. We pray that none of us leave here missing the import of that, Father. That we will do eternal works right now with you. You will do an eternal work in us. That we might all leave here celebrating, Father, for the grace that you've made available. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.